Sonic Statesman.com. So uh, this week uh, we've got a slight change of personnel. We've got John Musgrave back with us. Uh, John is a uh, producer, engineer, programmer, and uh, journalist occasionally. Is that right, John? Yes, that's right. Uh, we've also got Mark Tinley once again. How are you doing, Mark? Hello, hello. And uh, we've also got a new guest, which is uh, who's Richard Evans, who's... How would you describe yourself, Richard? Well, I was telling you before, it's on my marriage certificate. I'm a general purpose music person, it says on there. And uh, But at the minute, what that means is I'm writing music for um, Discovery Weather Porn, as I think it's described. Ah, when breezes attack, that sort of thing. <laughs> when, when wind gusts. That, that yeah. kind of thing. You were telling me you were having a little bit of difficulty with some of the technology involved with that. What was uh, what was your particular beef? I uh, bought this fancy new library. I was wanting to buy that Vienna Instruments one that was about two and a half grand, and I decided I couldn't justify that because it does all this fancy automatic um, uh, switching of articulations for all the orchestral instruments, and I thought, that looks good. But when you're trying to do that thing of writing a piece of music that sounds like an orchestra, but it isn't, you spend most of your time fiddling around with key switching and all that stuff. So this was going to do it automatically. Couldn't afford it. Bought the East-West Library instead, which sounds fantastic, but it uses all of this native instrument stuff on the front end, and I hate native instrument software with a vengeance. It never works. <laughs> I'd just like to say, these, these views expressed are not those of Sonic State. Well, I, and their technical support is completely hopeless, and so I've spent the past two weeks where I was supposed to have been writing music happily for weather porn and just sitting, nudging bits of this and that around a computer. It feels like ten years ago all of a sudden. Oh dear. Well, I know they do listen, because we did actually get them, because uh, they really enjoyed our piece on, um, we were talking about their core thing. The core. And, but they've also got a, um, uh, an audio interface that's not core. I've got a Profit 5 plug-in, and um, I can't use it anymore because it was for OS 9. And the way I think of it is as an analogy that if I went out and I spent several hundred dollars on a synthesizer, I would be able to use it with any piece of kit or whatever, and suddenly mm. I can't use it in I, OS X. I, I would why, have to I mean, you know, that? yeah, but the thing is, is the technology, they've had to completely rewrite the code for that, so... You know, you probably didn't, you, but you didn't pay several hundred. <laughs> okay, well, what about if you took it to America and it didn't have a 110 power supply? You'd have to buy the power supply for it, wouldn't you? Fair comment, Nick. Mm, yeah. Okay. I think that's <laughs> dealt with. <laughs> I quite like NI gear. I'll just say that again. Just Yeah, no, I do too. It's less fiddly than it used to be. I think they've improved their interfaces. That's a ringing endorsement, John. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, it sounds great. Do you think they'll put that on their box that you endorse? (laughs) If you want really good orchestral sounds, you should go and buy Philharmonic Miroslav from the sample tank. Well, no, it's not the nature of the... But it's not the nature of the sounds. The, the east-west sounds in the library are absolutely beautifully no, are recorded. Fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. It's Quantum Leap, isn't it, the stuff that... Yeah. Well, I have, because we did a review, I mean, we talked about it last week, the Quantum Leap um, Symphonic Choir, which is distributed by east-west and does the contact player. I mean, and he, I'm sure he mentioned to me that they were working on their own playback engine that wasn't yeah. going to use contact, their own proprietary streaming technology to, you know, so they could bypass contact. Apparently so. it's going to be announcement at Christmas, I understand. Or now... Actually, <laughs> I've had a good week because um, not only has my marvellous Herman Miller air-on chair arrived that I'm now sitting in at the moment sure. and bouncing up and down, um, but uh, we also got a a Lynx Aurora 16 Channel A to D and D to A to check out, which looks really nice, actually. Yeah. How much is that Lynx converter, then? 
It's about two and a half grand with an ADAC card. Right. Um, I'm told by the bloke who, who's distributing it that uh, it's a lot more neutral sounding than Apogee because we were just discussing, me and Richard were just talking about um, that earlier, weren't we? Uh, Nick seems to think they're very coloured. I'm not sure that any of them sound that different enough for anybody to uh, pay the difference between a £9 CD and a £10 CD. I think it's... <laughs> I just don't know whether anybody would ever know. Well, don't you think it's like a, it's a percent and a half thing rather than a 30% thing? It's just, oh, well, can you hear a difference? Yes, I can. No, I can't. I'm not going to pay three grand for that. If you multiply the, if you multiply the 1% by 30 tracks... That's my point entirely. Good, Is that your good point? point, John. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking. I mean, I, I know Apogee's are, you know, I think they kind of seem to be very popular in the kind of the rock field, don't they? Because they I, they got a sort of affinity to the tape sound, I believe. Is the so what, isn't that what they're designed to do? Sound like really well set up analog tape machines? Not that I was aware of. I don't think no idea. They've got soft limiters on them, haven't they? So it means that idiot engineers can use them without messing up the signal that actually goes into the computer. And hasn't it got some special diver? What's that, UV-22 or something? I should probably do a bit of research before I start bad-mouthing them to our... But has anybody ever switched dither button on and off and noticed the difference? I've done it many times on many different things, seen a dither button, and I've pushed it. And there's all sorts of different kinds of dither, and they all sound no different. Am, am, am I wrong? I have no I idea. I don't even know what dither is. I think you'd have to listen to a very quiet bit of sound of audio. To be You've got to know what to listen for. What you're listening for is white noise way, 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 way in the background. So on most material, you probably wouldn't notice the difference, but maybe on something really classical that you wanted yep. to... So who is this person who's really switching quiet. that dither button? Who's doing it? Which... Not me. When I export things out of Logic, it has three different dithers. If I want to dither things, I'm, I've tried them all. I can't tell the difference. Well, presumably software engineers can hear it because they all seem to like putting the buttons in things. But they've learned the difference between the different kinds of dither, haven't they? It's an acquired uh, learning curve, I suppose. I mean, once you know what something sounds like, you know what to listen for. But if you're just listening to the overall tone of something and going, hmm, that sounds the same to me. If you know that there's a maybe at 10k there's a really weird little fizzy frequency that comes up when you switch the dither, you can go, oh yeah, I know that that's UV 22. <laughs> you, know, and... you, ha- you have to spend an awful amount of time listening to silence uh, between classical music. So John Cage would probably really appreciate nice, the difference between nice the dithering. Yeah, mm. I spoke to Warren Cucurulo yesterday, and he was telling me that he spent nine thousand dollars mastering his new album and that uh on the bill or in the uh, breakdown of the bill there was a 900 dollar bill for one second of silence inserted between tracks wow. so silence Did they get costs PRS money. for that did you use the silence <laughs> i sent you i don't like the silence you've used <laughs> i've redithered it <laughs> i don't know i'll have to ask him well anyway um let's hope that this uh this Aurora sounds good, because uh, hopefully um, it will, and we'll be all very pleased with it. Yeah, it's supposed yeah. to sound very neutral. Mm. Crazy water synth thingy. Did anyone see that? I thought it was uh, a marvellous piece of gizmo technology. It's the sound of dolphins, isn't it? 
I suppose it is actually. Yes, it could be, couldn't it? It's uh, for what it is is uh, on on YouTube. There's something called a Toriton, which um, looks a bit like uh, well, looks like a puddle. Looks like a puddle, a bowl with some microphones pointing at it on a sort of one of those um, pads you put on a table for cutting up things to stop it marking the table. But it's not. I'm told it's actually a solar panel with an audio connector and a laser module. Um, and it's it's rather. I thought it was rather beautiful. I mean, I don't know what anybody else thought. Well, it's art, isn't it? Though I can imagine somebody, a merchant banker, paying twenty thousand pounds to put it in their foyer or whatever. But it's not a musical instrument. I mean, it says there it's a musical instrument. It's not. No, a guitar's a musical instrument where you can throw shapes and people want to snog you after you've played it. But a puddle isn't. It's just not a musical instrument. Well, I was thinking maybe it should be not water. Maybe wine or um... oil. I was I was going to say I was going to say it was a load of rubbish. But now you've mentioned that it could be a puddle of wine. It's actually sounded quite interesting. <laughs> <laughs> if you can't think of anything to play, you can always drink it. Is that the? Well, yeah. It's, I don't see it as a musical instrument. It doesn't. I mean, you know, sound sculpture. He was only playing one note. Yeah, sound sculpture. Yeah. But I did find a page um, because it it took me ages to find anything about it. But I actually found a page where he's discussed it. People have been asking how it works. Basically, it's some sort of electrical controller that controls a Max patch, a Max SP patch, Mm. and um, you wiggle your fingers and and it does what it does. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think sound sculpture would be uh, better. The idea of having a bowl of water or any kind of liquid near a laptop. Does yeah, does rather idea. mean I think maybe full scale manufacturers some time away. <laughs> I mean I think the nearest analogy has to be that Korg chaos pad thing, doesn't it? And yeah. I don't think I'd call a Korg chaos pad uh, pad a musical instrument. I got offered a job once by the, by this company owned by Paul Allen to develop musical instruments, and it was another thing like this. It was actually, they must have spent millions of dollars on this thing, and it was just a Wasp keyboard on a big stick, <laughs> and. And that was uh, attached to a Max uh, MSP patch in a similar way to this. But once again, you couldn't do anything but make the odd wibbly noise and uh, you couldn't get a tune or a decent solo out of it. Yeah, but, but I mean, having said that, you know, spoons are considered to be a musical instrument, aren't they? <laughs> well, they, but they, it looks great. You can throw shapes while you're, while you're playing the spoons and, and people can look at, look at you. Actually, if you combine that with the, um, the Toriton and you use soup, in the bowl, then you could mm. use the spoons to eat the soup afterwards, and you'd have a kind of very complete, <laughs> kind of genuine performance. Oh, yeah, that would moment. be brilliant. I reckon you could sell. You could probably win the Turner Prize with that. Mm. Um, there's a page that somebody found on uh, Roland, um, which basically um, gives you access to downloading the source code for the operating systems for various pieces of equipment. Um, there's not terribly much in the way of synthesis at the moment. Most of it's sort of the uh, Ederol. Uh, visual synthesizer stuff and the graphics um, and video workstation things. But there is at the bottom of the list the Rogers Trillium Masterpiece series pipe digital organ. So you could download the source code for that and maybe sort of hack it to sound like, oh, I don't know, let's get crazy, I don't know, a piano or something. What do you think? But why does anybody ever go open source with their code? What, what's ever the reason for it? I thought it was always when somebody had spent so much money and time developing a piece of software, like that noodle thing that we worked on. They spent years making that. Then they couldn't really think what to do with it, and then they made it open source in the hope that somebody would come along and do something useful with it, I think. And what happened? Mm, don't think anything's happened, sadly, because it was quite nice. Well, that's a shame, yeah. It was an interesting thing. It was like a cross between Ableton Live and MySpace, Essentially, and it, and it was a and but it was we 
started it about eight years ago or something like that. And the and it was like a remix tool, but it was linked to a social website like MySpace. And the idea was that there'd be a community of people who um, tore apart each other's music and made different versions of it. And there's a lot of that goes on there. So it's you know it's all happened. There are quite on that list on on their site. There are quite a few hardware units, you know, like video and picture units for manipulating video and pictures and stuff. And to open the, the source code up for those, I mean, they must be looking for someone to contribute some kind of plug-in or processing or something to it to, to add to the add to the facilities on offer, I'd have thought. Yeah, well, the one thing that they pushed quite recently is the CG8 visual synthesizer, which is kind of a, a kind of real-time video processing thing. And I was just looking at this, and the actual, the actual software it comes at over 142 megabytes. So I'm just wondering kind of how much RAM this thing must have. And you know, that's, that's an enormous amount of software to wade through line by line and kind of fiddle about with. You'd have to be pretty, pretty hot. It was one of those lovely moments in the studio where the part just suddenly clicked and everyone was dancing around. Sonic stage. So you can hear there how the two parts don't conflict. There are a huge number of samples on that record. We double-tracked the drums, so there was a second drum track on there. The beginnings of affordable digital recording. SonicState.com. Doing solo. If what you're writing is just explaining some kind of, like, facet of the software, then it's like the piece of music that's been written is more explaining the machine than it is, like, your personality. Doing solo. Uh, Mark brought it to my attention that uh, that I, he tried to buy a tune on iTunes from his UK location, and he couldn't get it. It was available on the American iTunes, is that right? But because he's in the UK, well, iTunes told him he couldn't have it. Yeah, what I was actually trying to do was I was trying to buy an episode of Lost, which is an ABC television show. Um, but regardless of what you try to buy from the iTunes US store, you can't. You just can't. You have to... Uh, create a user account for yourself, and in order to do that, you have to have an American registered credit card and American address. Um, I tried to log on and join the U.S. store using a PayPal account, but my, but they won't allow you to use an unverified PayPal account. So unless you're actually in the U.S. and you have a U.S. address, you can't buy from the iTunes U.S. store. Now. I can sort of understand why they might want to do that because ABC might want to protect their copyright and stop, you know, their TV show being shown in England before they were ready to show it here and stuff like that. But <clears throat> what really, really annoys me is that if I was to go and buy, say, Duran Duran Planet Earth from the US store, I would pay 99 cents for it. If I was to buy it in England, I'd pay 79p. 99 cents is actually 52p. So why do we have to pay more because we're in the UK? But as far as the pricing goes, I mean, because sales tax traditionally in America is, you know, is what, 8 to 12%, which is kind of yeah, like VAT. It varies from state to state, doesn't it? Mm. Well, 52p and 79p, what's that? That's 20p difference, isn't it? Which is about, it's, yeah, it's about it's, 40, no, yeah, 40 it's more than It's more than just the sales tax. As, as I remember, don't Apple have to negotiate their rates with different record companies in different territories, though? Isn't that how they work? I think the, the issue with the iTunes must stem from the fact that the, 
the agreements the, the content owners have, the record companies, tele companies, etc., have are continent specific, aren't they? Probably not down to Apple. It's probably there. Probably nothing. They to do have with to. Apple. They just to, to to actually be able to get the music. They have to agree to the terms that I mean, are being imposed on them by the iTunes territories and the. Good. I think. I mean. I think the musicians are taking over from the record companies. I mean, we're all intelligent enough to find our own ways of marketing ourselves. So. I'd rather be a musician than a marketing man as well. That's the problem. That, that, and I know so many musicians trying to do their own records at the minute, but then they get stuck doing all this marketing stuff and all this stuff that record companies used to do. They're suddenly finding they have to do, and they've suddenly stopped writing music because they're having to deal with... Well, you need a sixth person. Well, assuming you've got five people in the band. You need an extra person in the band who has an equal cut who's your marketing person. That's going to be the manager, isn't it, my, I suppose? Just to keep your MySpace up to date, yeah. is that right? Yeah. You kind of like, uh, maybe you just, have, yeah, maybe there's got to be a role there somewhere for somebody, isn't there? On YouTube, there is a um, a video of Peter Andre, who is a sort of UK boy band celeb, who's married to uh, Jordan, who is a pneumatically enhanced blonde page three, you know, glamour model, who's got a ridiculous amount of celebrity. Um, she They've released a duet. And everybody was saying, oh, that she, she can sing, all right? You know, Peter Andre can sing okay, you know, if you like that sort of thing, kind of Michael Jackson-esque, and he can do it. And it's, you know, I'm sure he could, he can benefit with a bit of help. But uh, Katie Price, who's her real name, um, everybody's saying, oh, no, she can sing quite well. I was quite surprised. And um, there's a video of them. I guess there must be a live performance somewhere. And it's quite clear that she can't actually sing at all. It's a dreadful it's a, dread, it's a dreadful performance, and basically what we found out is um, Auto Tune has been has been assisting them her career. Oh, like. no. Now, do you know that it's a live performance? Because I assumed it was studio. Listening to it, it sounds like there's good microphones and there's no background noise involved, and that to me says somebody has broken the unwritten rules of the Brotherhood of Engineering. Because any engineer has been in a studio with people that can't sing. I mean, we do it every single day. And the fact that somebody has taken this tape and released it on the internet is absolutely appalling. You know, I mean, very funny. Yeah, it's very funny, but it's re- I just think it's really rude. And who, with that, whoever the assistant is, I'm assuming, who, who did that and put it out on the internet, he's really, he's, he's been... Bad. He should be banished from the Brotherhood forever. I think. As Richard said, somebody had released a, a recording of the single before it had been fixed. So some engineer had sort of given it to somebody, and it had ended up. It actually ended up on all the news sites as well. So uh, when you listen to the recording that got released, the audio recording, and you listen to the finished single, you can hear that some of the um, the phrasing and diction is the same. So it's pretty obvious that it's the same performance that's been fixed. But I can't imagine that they said, yeah, Katie, that's fine with the one that we got there. I mean, that was, it was so bad that I don't think you would accept that as a starting point. What's happening is that some sound engineer has said to her, yeah, okay, that's good enough. We can fix that. Go home. When, when in reality, they should have made her stand there for another 10 hours until she'd done enough takes or got it right enough that they'd got a, a, a complete and, and, real performance from her on that record the thing is i mean let's face it jordan is not her career is not based built on her singing career so it's kind of funny you know because she's tried and everyone's going oh she's not bad and it's actually no you're not you're bloody rubbish because she makes all her income out of um 
out of you know, getting her boobs out. Not only is she massively surgically enhanced, she's also massively auto-tunedly enhanced on the finished record. But anyway, check it out if you're feeling evil and mean. SonicState.com as the PlayStation 3 has come out this week, Sony just seem to be in this kind of position of stasis. You know, they're completely screwed, as far as I could tell. The, the PlayStation 3 has taken, you know, 12, at least 12 months more than it should have done to come to market. Um, it's also, you know, also with that battery, that awful battery recall nonsense that must have hurt them a lot. You know, they had to recall kind of several hundred thousand batteries. Are we going to see them kind of maybe going down the tubes, or is it is it do they, is it going to take more than this? I hope not, because this looks like a really good product, actually. Um, I'm not really a big fan of, of games machines, but this is, is, is basically an entertainment system with a games machine in it. It's pretty much like a kind of TV TV computer, effectively. What makes it different from a, a, a Macintosh computer, though? What defines it as a games machine? Oh, graphics. I mean, it's going to have a heap more power on the graphics front than... You probably have to end up with a kind of top, 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 top-end Mac Pro tower with the biggest possible graphics system in it to kind of get the same sort of performance because the amount of rendering, real-time rendering these things can do is just astonishing. And I heard somewhere that every one of these high-end games consoles that's sold, they generally sell at a loss because they're going to make the money back on the the games. It's a DVD player, an SACD player, a CD player. It's got wireless Wi-Fi on it. It's got um, gigabit Ethernet on it. It's amazing. And and it uses a new... This new CPU they're using is something which Sony and IBM have been developing. These cell CPUs, which are amazingly fast, apparently. So it's got a lot of new technology in it. And there are people sort of, you know, there's been a lot of stuff in the press over the weekend of uh, people kind of sleeping on uh, on the streets of Akihabara in uh, in Tokyo, kind of waiting for, to get their, their PS3 and then sort of taking it home and putting their old games on it. Apparently it's not 100% compatible, which was one of the big selling points <laughs> of it. You know, so this is, it looks like Sony are heading for another kind of pratfall at the moment. Um, they still haven't done their kind of iPod type thing. or their, and I'm really surprised at that. When you consider how, how many years they were basically the top-end personal stereo people, and now they're just bottom of the pile. It serves them right, though, and they've killed themselves off with their own bloody-mindedness on compatibility. They have their own memory sticks for things and refuse to use any of the other formats that everyone else is using. And um, pretty much the same thing on the mini-disc, that whole mini-disc thing, you, their own uh, proprietary uh, encoding format, that A-Track 3 and everything. It's like, what, what, why are they doing that? They make it so impossible to put an MP3 into your mini-disc player so that it will play MP3s. I think they eventually conceded and, and allowed people to do that. But. Big corporation like Sony is never going to go a- away, though. It's like Marks & Spencer's or Apple. They all have hard times because the, because the brand name's so uh, powerful. They'll, they'll just come back again in a couple of years when, it's, when the time really. is right. But, yeah, come on, Sony, keep up. Some bloke thinks that the depth of the CD is about to die because um, he asked a few under-24-year-olds what they thought about it, and it just seemed like a very... Pip- poor piece of um, uh, non qualitative research. But but doesn't it really matter that, that what then how is good quality audio going to be distributed anymore? I mean, there's all... I read in The Guardian last week that physical CD sales were down 10% in a single year last year, and it's expected to go down by 50% over the next three years, which means we're at the, the end of mass distribution of high-quality audio, as far as I can see, because everybody seems happy with MP3. I, I find it... 
very disturbing. No, I'm not. It's bloody awful. And then we're, we're busily working at 96 kilohertz and looking at Aurora 16 input uh, converters. But who's ever going to hear all of this, seeing as everybody's just listening to MP3s? This is definitely being my top five most important keyboards of all time. Single most influential keyboard ever designed, obviously after the piano. Great for bass lines and leads and that sort of thing. It's, it's a pretty cool synth. The top 20 greatest synths of all time. Coming soon from Sonic State. I noticed a discussion over on the gas station, which is Sonic State's kind of forum for electronic musicians, and um, there was a there was a whole bunch of stuff about um, which was the best feeling mod and pitch wheel. And um, I, I thought, well, you know, why not? Let's talk about it because I mean, there are a variety of different flavors on there. There's you know ribbon controllers. There's um, the, the, the the traditional mod and pitch wheel. There's the combined roll and stick thing. There's the sort of button on the Jupiters. There's all sorts of stuff. And there's the Nord, the famous Nordly piece of wood. And what's the other thing made out of clay or something, isn't it? So let's hear it. Who's got a favourite? I've got a favourite. Have you? <laughs> Casio FZ1. You've gone very quiet. I know. Well, I'm just trying to picture it. <laughs> what, what's so special about it then? You know, it feels like it feels like the heater control in a car. It's got like a real kind of plasticky, chunky sort of. A good spring. Sort of nicely serrated feel to it. And the, and the software it would let you scratch samples on the pitch wheel oh, as well. Yeah. That was really cool. I think if I was able to speak for Nick Rhodes, I'd say that he would say that the Jupiter 8 has the best bend, bend wheel on it. Because um, and without that, he wouldn't have been able to play Save a Prayer. Absolutely relies he on He wouldn't have on a prayer of saying of, of <laughs> Save a Prayer. <laughs> so does that mean he actually has to take one on the road for, for live stuff? Or has he got a... Jupiter a 8, of, yeah, it's a... Yeah, he does. It's a complete nightmare. I did key-teching for him for a while and, and trying to obtain spares or back up Jupiter 8 or trying to get the two to sound the same even is a, is just a complete nightmare. I mean, we had two Jupiter 8s. They sounded completely different to each other despite the fact they had the same patches in them because over time the electronics sort of break down and then, you know, things go off in different directions. I guess. Um, somebody t- once told me that the hi-hats in a 909 kind of deteriorate over time so do you think that's actually feasible possibly if there's capacitors in there the capacitors will break down over time so yeah i think that's feasible well there you go richard uh, cs80 for me i think uh it, it feels like anything on that instrument wobbles in different directions and also it's difficult to make it wobble i'm a, a I'd be a big believer in forced feedback. I wish computers, I mean, uh, uh, synthesizers could fight back. So if you assign some wobble, amplitude wobble onto something, it would push back at you in time with the wobble, that kind of thing. I just think any musical instrument should feel like it's it's battling back as you try and do something. John? I think, I think the big decision you've got is whether you go for two wheels or a, or a joystick, really. For anyone who doesn't already have a keyboard. Um I don't know. I quite like the the, the Elise, some of the Elysis keyboards used to have some pretty sort of rubberized kind of ones, which I quite like. Oh yeah, I know. I, well, I've solid. Got, you know, they felt yeah, solid. I love those. The thing about modern pitch wheels always conjure sort of those dreadful demos that you see of Nam with blokes wearing gloves and sort of that whole kind of. And now I'm going to play like a guitar solo. And yeah, you just think, with, well, why? With pitch a, bend. Yeah, with pitch bend. Look, it's it sounds quite, like uh, jazz rock like as soon thing. as you use it. Yeah, I'm not so keen on the Nord ones. I mean, I, I like the design aspect of them. You know, in terms of they look look great, um, and the idea is clever. But on, in terms of the feel of them, I'm not so sure. A bit sort of stra- the pitch bends a bit springy. 
and you might get woodworm. <laughs> uh, the other thing that came out, Mbox 2 Mini. What do you think of that? It's a thing of beauty, I thought. It looked very, very nice. It's like a kind of DI box, but it's, um, well, essentially, it's a dongle for Pro Tools, isn't it, as far as I can it's tell? It's sort of styled in the Mbox Pro sort of style, which is sort of deep blue. And uh, you also get Pro Tools Lite with it, Pro Tools LE with it, which is uh, obviously going to be a really good way of, of getting into the Pro Tools market. What does it cost? It's £229. £229 to get Pro Tools into Pro Tools. That's pretty good. But I, my point is, why don't they just bring out a dongle? Because it's sort of where they're going, isn't it? I suppose it's useful. I'm, I'm surprised they're still going down the M-powered and LE route still. I'm surprised they haven't begun to kind of wrap up two into one yet. That's the thing I still find confusing. I, I, I can understand them you know, for a while once they got M-Audio on board for them having two sets of software, but now I just don't think it makes any sense. I know there's a difference between LE and M-powered, and there are certain things LE will do that M-powered won't do, and a few of those on the list, fair enough. But I don't understand why they still need two. So I, I would have thought their next product should really be one that combines both those softwares into one and just be done with it. I don't know. I mean, do you use any M-Box stuff, Rich? I, I, there's been so many of them that I, I'd love to buy one, but I can never decide which, which one. I got given the black box, the thing that Roger Lynn, that, that was the port of the Roger Lynn Adrenaline that they made, and that works as a, as a, on M-powered um, process. Yeah. Ah. And, and I used it live, and it was actually really fantastic. Great sounding box, and let you run Pro Tools. Sadly, though, it's only got two outputs, and that was the problem because the, live, the front of house live engineer needs, needed a separate output, the output for the guitar and the output of all the sequence stuff. Otherwise, it would have been the perfect live box for me. So, you probably need an M Box 2 Pro. That's the, that's the only one that has more than two outputs, sadly. I want to be able to. Um plug the headphones into the side of my computer, sit it on my lap, and I want to be able to use Pro Tools like that without having to have some extra big box sticking outside. So, um, you know, and, and and you're saying maybe they should put it on a dongle. Well, since they put every other damn thing on iLock, why don't they give you uh, Pro Tools, uh, I don't know, let's think of an acronym for it, Pro, Pro Tools IL, which maybe you, you know, pay the same price for the for the uh, software initially, or they knock 50 quid off because they haven't sold you some crappy Chinese box with horrendous um, preamps in it, and and you can use Pro Tools on your laptop with a pair of headphones. But presumably some uh, somebody on the board, must have, there must be a business model which says we have to sell people hardware. They must do. Otherwise, why? Well, they're probably terrified of um, piracy, aren't they? So if they, they tie it into, into hardware, because... I mean, none, none of the Pro Tools light versions are are ideal because even if you use M-powered, you still need to have an M-audio interface and the dongle, I think, both at the same time for it to work. Oh, is there a dongle? Is there actually a dongle for... M-powered uses... Yeah. Uses a dongle? Ah, I didn't realise that. And that, what, an iLock or... Yeah, it's an iLock. Ah, okay. So it needs to see both the iLock and the box. And the box. Whereas Ellie only needs to see the box, which is an improvement. So there is no no really portable editing, shall we say, option for for Pro Tools still, which is crazy. It could just be an iLock, you're absolutely right, and that would be the perfect option. Pro Tools is by far the best way of editing audio because you have everything on one page. You never have to go anywhere else. You don't have to have the mix and the edit window on separate pages. You can bring up all of your mixer settings, you know, on, on the main page, so... Without having to leave that page, you can work on making regions shorter, longer, etc., etc. So it's brilliant for comping vocals and all that sort of stuff. But I never, ever use it because I can't be bothered to plug in that box.
Sample Tank 2, now available for Intel as a universal binary, which I would like to say, hooray, because I love Sample Tank 2. Um, it's got some great drum sounds in it, and I use it quite a lot for that. And um, since I got my MacBook Pro, I can't use it, but now I can. So, nice one. So you just need to go, I think it's a free download, you just have to go and, if you've got a user account, you can go and log in and uh, you can get hold of the, the download. I haven't seen whether it's got any bugs or not. Is it fiddlier than it used to be? Well, yeah, I mean, it's not... <laughs> yes, exactly. Good point. <laughs> I just got that. But it is fiddly because it's got such small screen. But, I mean, generally, all you do... I mean, I don't generally fiddle with it that much. It's like I might be change the effect balances. I think Sample Temp 2 is absolutely brilliant, and I've got the XL version of it, which has got all the weird time stretch stuff in it. Um, so, yeah, good. Sample Tank 2, now, um, now Intel. <laughs> Things I'd like for Christmas. Did you, did you have anything... Do you have anything in there that you kind of like? I mean, I'm thinking from a technology point of view. You've got one of these um, Iomega drives on your list here. Yeah, I saw that. It's, it looked very nifty. It's tiny. I think it's, a couple, it's like two inches square. It's, isn't it sort it's of the actually, size of... It's got a hard drive in it. It's an eight gigabyte. I guess it must be. I don't know if it's a hard drive or where it's flash, but apparently it's fast enough to stream from. And, you know, I don't know whether it'll do video, but it's USB 2, so it should be able to stream at least one stream of uh, real-time DV off it or onto it. I don't know whether it writes that fast. Uh, maybe I'm on that sort of thing, but I want it to be about 20 gig. <laughs> so in typical Father Christmas style, I think I'll ask for something which is un- unavailable. They've started to put um, 120 gig, two and a half inch drives into little Western digital enclosures, and they're quite nice because they're sort of slightly rubbery and they've got little rubbery flip ports so you know the dust doesn't get in, water doesn't get in, and they do a 120 gig one of those for about £100, I think. You might, you, might, you might like that. Hmm. Richard, what about you? The only thing that I'm wanting at the minute is one of those Novi- Novation keyboards, that controller keyboards that tell you what's what. Remote SL? Yeah, I'd love one of those. And I, I, I love the look of those. The only thing that's disappointing about them, and I think they need to work on it, and I, but presumably it's cost prohibitive, is they don't have moving faders. Exactly. exactly. That would just kill. And I did talk to one of the developer guys um, at a very boozy party at Mesa earlier on this year, and um, he was saying, yeah, no, I agree, it'd be great, but it's just finding, you know, finding the way to make that cost effective. Presumably nobody's made a cheap moving, moving fader once, because on the, remember there was the uh, Mackie control thing, and I remember changing one of the uh, moving faders, and it's, and it's a system of levers and pulleys. I mean, it looks... What, string? It, it is, it's string, and pulleys. Uh, so somebody surely has got to come up with, with a better design than that that's cheap. Well, something that's maybe electromagnetic and yes, kind of yeah. just calibrates itself. Exactly. Yeah, there must be a way. Let's have that, yeah. Although, um, the other thing that's really... I wouldn't mind one of those um, fader ports, which I know we've talked about, the Presonus. It's like a little transport control with one full-length yeah. moving fader. And a, There's and that a, one, a brilliant the Frontier the, one, isn't there? Yeah, but the, the really cool one is the Frontier Designs one. That's uh, They're two. Very similar price, though, aren't they? Similar yeah. Price, so, uh, yeah, I'd like one of those for Christmas, but unfortunately it won't be out until next year. So maybe um, I could get a prototype for Christmas. I'd quite like a Line 6 Variax guitar for Christmas. Well, no, it, I think it's a really good idea, but all that alternative tuning thing, sadly, it always sounds like there's a harmonizer involved. You know, it just does. And, and so the, the 12, 12 string patches doesn't sound like a 12 string. It sounds like a guitar within a, with an old eventide harmonizer on it, up an octave faded in a bit. And, and, and sure, you can get away in a live situation like that, I think. And, it, and it's good enough. I mean, it's not good enough for using in the studio, really. And I, and I don't. I just don't find. I just don't think this emulation thing. We don't. 
We want the real thing. I think we should stop I, thinking in terms of emulation. Well, uh, yeah, well, I'm recording in my kitchen now, so and and I'm in here with a, a laptop, a microphone, and a guitar. I don't want the real thing because it will get in the way of the cooker and the Kenwood mixer and the washing machine and everything else. The, the great thing about emulation stuff is if you kind of immediately get a sound that sounds like something that you want to hear, you're going to stretch yourself in terms of playing because if you don't play like Dick Dale, you might have a go because you've got that sound at your fingertips. You think, oh, I wonder how, you know, you would learn a little bit maybe about his technique and about that kind of thing. So it's got to be a good thing generally to have that palette of sounds available to you because it's going to stretch the way that you would play. Well, they've got something called Guitar Port Online, which I'm actually quite interested in because I haven't really, you know, progressed as a guitar player for about 20 years. But they've got all these lessons online and loads of guitar players are on there showing you how they played such and such from this song or whatever. And I'm sort of like thinking, well, hang on, you know, maybe I should um, subscribe to this and go and learn some other people's stuff and, you know, have have a bit of fun with the guitar rather than just use it as a tool for writing songs you know i think i think gibson and fender are doing that sort of thing now i mean not to make this into too much of a line six love fest you know we should point out that there are a number of other you know and i think that's the beauty of the stuff that's coming out online and the, and the ability to stream this stuff this makes me think of uh, this thing called e-session i don't know whether you've come across this which which is uh trying to use some of the technology that rocket networks had and it's a way of getting session musicians more work in america and so they've signed up. You can only sign up if you've got 20 or 25 record credits to your name. And so, for instance, if you want the guitar player that played on Ziggy Stardust or whatever, that's probably bad. Yeah. He's you, dead. You, yeah, he's dead. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but you can go and find him and get him to play on your record for 500 quid. And 400 musicians are on there now. And it seems to be every famous musician that you've ever thought of is there who will play on your record for and not really all what, that you much send money. them a kind of... Yeah, they've done this. Uh, it's essentially sending Pro Tools files to each other. And so you can only sign on to it if you have a Pro Tools session, session at home. But it's quite amazing, actually, that... Musicians that you assume uh, are drunk in a, yeah. a, a, a drunk in a swimming pool somewhere under a big pile of money. They actually haven't got really much work, and they'd absolutely love it if somebody would. I think absolutely brilliant idea, and a lot of musicians I know are just sitting around bored because they love playing music and want to play music. It's not always about money for some of the bigger names. They actually <coughs> they actually want to be involved in something and sort of you know contributing and and thinking about music and yeah. and. And all that. So I think it's a brilliant idea. I'm going to see if I've actually been on 25 records and sign up myself, I think. We so. recently did a, uh, a review of a service called Drums For You, which is kind of a similar mm. kind of principle where you send them an MP3 and um, they'll just kind of do the drums or you know the, any of the music and send you back this kind of either a Pro Tools stems or Pro Tools individual um, file or whatever, however you want it. And it's like really, really cheap. And they just, because they've got the whole thing set up in their studio, they have the mics and everything, they don't take it down. They're just going and the guy's a really great drummer, you know, and he just kind of gets, gets most of the songs and he can turn your kind of rubbishy demo that you've just sort of twanged out on an acoustic guitar to a click in, or not into a click into a fully produced sort of songwriting demo which i think and i think he's working a lot in in america because obviously there's there's a lot more people who are looking to get songs placed rather than rather than beat well, pop stars i tried selling my services on ebay about two and a half three years ago and um i i started the auction at one dollar just to see if i'd get any interest and um i ended up selling it for about three dollars 
and uh, four four hours of my time as a session sort of you know noisemaker and synth person, I didn't feel that was very successful. Being no, perhaps not. Perhaps you need to join one of these more elite kind of elite elite clubs that. uh, like yeah. Richard was talking I mean, about. I think these, th- these things are going to become more and more common as people learn how to do them, I suppose. OK, well, look, we've covered an awful lot of ground. I, mean, I can see the edit hours stacking up uh, uh, beyond me as I get into the night. I was, it took me an awfully long time to edit last week, so I'm not quite sure why. I think it was because I was drunk, probably. Um, I think maybe we should call it a day and thank everybody. I mean, thank you very much, Mark. That's been great. <laughs> Mark always has trouble with his goodbyes. Uh, but Richard, Richard Evans, our new guest for this week. Thank you, Richard, for coming into the studio. And also, John Musgrave, thanks for hanging on the phone for us once again. Cheers. Thanks a lot, Nick. And Mark Tinley, thank you as ever. You're welcome. Okay. Thanks, Mark. You're welcome. You're welcome. That was, that was quite good. Yeah, that was fine. It was almost sincere. <laughs> Can you save that one for next week? <laughs> yeah, I'll save that one. <laughs> okay, that's about it for another week. Uh, thanks very much to our guests once again, especially our new guest, uh, Richard Evans. I'd just like to point out that Richard was being a little bit modest. Um, he actually also toured with the Peter Gabriel Band, uh, was uh, on stage with him during the last tour, uh, jetting about all over the place. If you want to get in touch with us and put us right about anything that we've been talking about or uh, just leave a comment or a shout-out or say hi, anything you like, on this show or any others, you can call us on the Skype handle Sonic Talk. Inside the US, It's uh, the phone number is 312-376-8089. And we've also now got a UK landline number, um, which is 44, if you're outside the UK, 20-7870-8616. That's 44-20-7870-8616. If you're inside the UK, just call 0207-870-8616. And you can also just email us on sonictalk at sonicstate.com. Thanks for listening. Sonic State. Let's call.